Hi everyone, it's Olga Zar. Welcome to SEO Podcast by SEO Sly. Today I have a very, very special guest. This is Ted Kubaitis, well known, I think the best known from SEO Fight Club. I have been following SEO Fight Club for a long time and this this is the only show, I would say, which has been so eye-opening for me. I am coming from a white hat background and this and the, the moment I started to listen to that really kind of a lot of things changed in my mind. So Ted, how are you doing? Doing great. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Like I heard someone talk about you that you are the genius in SEO and I totally agree with that because the more I listen, I'm now in the process of listening all the SEO Fight Club episodes from the start. And with every episode, I think this is really true. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the compliment. I I don't see myself as, as a genius, though. Uh, you know, I, I saw an opportunity and I pounced on it. And, and that opportunity was, uh, you know, SEO was a real thing. And our industry was just full of charlatans and snake oil and scams. And so I just took a deep breath and said, you know, I think some simple, fundamental, scientific method can work here. Yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> that's all I did, you know, is clever, uh-huh. uh, but, you know, it's, it's not it's not genius level stuff uh-huh. just you know let's look at the problem rationally mm-hmm. yeah for, for me it is though okay if people who are watching this if you are not listening and and if you are not subscribed to seo fight club you definitely should do that at this moment i really recommend that and ted if there are people who don't know you can you like briefly introduce yourself uh, in addition to what I said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my name is Ted Kubaitis, and I live in the United States. Uh, my uh, education was in physics, and I got poached into computer science during the dot-com era. I worked at the uh, National Center for Supercomputing Applications at the University of Illinois when I was a student there. I had the office across the hall from Mark Andreessen. Um, I later uh, worked at Microsoft during the dot-com era. I've done several high-tech startups. Um, and now I'm... Uh, running my own business called SEO Tool Lab, and I am the creator of Cora SEO software. Yeah, yeah, I totally love Cora, and I will be asking you more questions about that in just a second. So you are very, you have a very, very technical background, which is, I think, great. I think it is something that I feel I am lacking, and I'm trying to fill in the knowledge gaps I have there, but do you think it is like essential to have this kind of understanding to, to be a better SEO? Um, or... yeah, yeah, you don't have to go off the rails on it. A little bit of science goes a long way. And uh-huh. so you can use uh, small amounts in important places and radically change your outcomes. And so one of the things I like to tell people to do is to prove fundamental things for yourself. So if you can take two, three, 
fundamental things about SEO and run your own experiments to definitively prove to yourself that they work or don't work, uh, that's a very important thing because what's going to happen then is now all of a sudden you have a basis for which you can evaluate other people's information. So one of the things uh, I tested early on was keyword density, and I got amazing test results out of keyword density. When I managed to isolate all the variables, I created a bunch of pages that range from 2% keyword density all the way up to 95% keyword density. And the second I got all of the, uh, the other variables out of the test pages, you know what Google did? Google sorted them in descending order by keyword density. Yeah, so like yeah. 95, 90, 85, 80, all the way down. So I went, I type in the <laughs> test keyword and Google would sort them by density. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is a thing. And, and so I made this test. And then as cool as that is, and it's a minor factor, so don't go running around going, oh, my God, it's all keyword density. You know, it's a little bit keyword density. It's not a lot keyword density. Um, but I, I now had this basis where when I went into uh, the web or, or I went into these groups and somebody said, hey, I've done this study of factors or, hey, I found this technique. And they say, you know, don't use keyword density. It doesn't work at all. Well, hmm, do I have to read that whole skyscraper blog post now? Because yeah. I proved it for myself. So I know the correct answer. And they violated that fundamental answer. And what's interesting about the keyword density test is it is the most heavily tested thing in SEO. It's been tested more than anything else in our entire industry. And the reason why is when you fail on an SEO test, the most likely reason is you accidentally turned it into a keyword density test. You took away some keywords from a test page, you added an extra keyword mention, boom, it's now a density test. It's the most common mistake in SEO oh. testing. And when I ran uh, the SEO test group at IMG, which I did for a few years, um, when I ran that test group, we had uh, a dozen, two dozen testers. We would always have them test keyword density first because we knew the outcome. We knew if they mm. got the known outcome that their test setup was all dialed in. And it also kept confirming this answer that we kept getting. So every single tester who came in the group, we had them test keyword density first thing. And, you know, the main reason was so they understand that test because it's the most common mistake. And it hits people uh, in their concepts of over-optimization every day. Have you ever had people tell you, oh, you need to prune your content? Yeah, I, I hear many, very many tools tell me that as well. Yeah, and I've been talking to people about pruning content for years, and it always comes back about a 50-50 proposition. For about half of the people who try it, it works, and for about half of the people who try it, it doesn't work. 
And we think we know why it's so 50-50. It's because they are randomly impacting keyword density. density. When you don't look at what you're cutting away, if you cut away irrelevant text that isn't keyword rich, your density gets better. If you cut away parts of your text that have important entities and keywords, your keyword density gets worse. And so if you blindly prune your page, it's a 50-50 out. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I think two or three years ago, I had I had a blog post or something like that, a, 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 some form of a, a quick question answered on my blog regarding keyword density. And there I stated that it doesn't matter. And I, I kind of deleted that as soon as I started to follow you more because I realized, why am I saying that? And based on what? <laughs> Well, you're, you're saying it because we're in an industry where the more we hear something, the more we tend to think it's true and that somebody out there did the homework on it. So if every blog you go to, you know, blog after blog after blog tells you the same thing, you think somewhere out there someone did a test and yeah. they didn't. Someone out there did a thought experiment made it sound like it was rationally true. Google has smart AI and they're smarter than this because they're Google, so this can't possibly work. And then enough people copy that information everywhere. And now we've granted a power onto Google that Google doesn't actually have. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And so that's what's happening is it's human behavior. It's human psychology is causing these echo chamber things to happen. Yeah, totally. And coming back to to your beginnings in SEO, when did you start and how it happened that you started working as an SEO? I know you have some e-commerce background. And if you can tell more about this, that would be awesome. Uh, after uh, 9-11, I sold my first startup, and uh, it, it was tough going with 9-11. Most of our clients were airlines, and obviously most of them were tanking uh-huh. uh, after that event. So I became an in-house uh, uh, software engineer at an online retailer, about a 300-person company. Um, Big enough to have all of Amazon's problems, but nowhere near their revenue. Uh And uh, uh, they noticed that I was pretty good at this SEO thing as well as the the engineering. So they're like, you do SEO. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll figure this out. And so I started doing my own trial and error. And... I discovered some things accidentally just working in total isolation. I didn't know there were SEO groups out there. I wasn't even looking for them. Hmm. And so for 17 years, I did SEO in total secrecy and isolation. Um, One of the things I did uh, was I'd go out there and read blogs and I'd find that the blogs would contradict each other. One would say a thing works, another would say it doesn't work. Who do you believe? And so I needed to test. And so the retailer had 15 stores at the time. So I went and uh, got permission to use their smallest store that they were thinking about cutting because it didn't do enough revenue. Mm -hmm. I used that as my SEO test bed. 
So I would take both techniques and I would test them on two different pages on the smallest store, see which one won. And so now I had a way to let differing opinions compete for a winner. And not only that, I had this new magic power inside this online retailer and that everything I would recommend they deploy to all of the other stores was a guaranteed smash success because I test them on this little Ooh. one and I only ever told the rest of the company about the victories. So the yeah. company started thinking I had this Midas touch and everything I do is gold because they never saw the vast amounts of things that would fail on this tiny store. That, that all gets swept under the rug. <laughs> but when I say, hey, on these other stores, uh, we need to rename the products to use the... Uh, uh, the, the thing that the product is instead of these artistic product names because that's how people are finding it. And then when it's in the product heading on the page, then it tends to work better. They do that site-wide, their revenue goes up, more people come into the store. Huh. It took me, when I started doing SEO that way, where I test on a small site where no one cared and then all the victories I put on the, on the important sites, I went from just being a web developer to the director of business intelligence uh, nice. at, at the right hand of, of the executive team, you know, uh, you know, that, that took two years as a oh. two year climb of the ladder. Once <laughs> nice. thing, a tiny bit of just simple testing methodology. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things you learned from those tests about SEO? Oh, if you can share some, a few examples. A ton. Like, you know, a lot of it is still pertinent today. Like, uh, one of which is I think most SEOs mistakenly think that all your SEO needs to be in the main content. Mm -hmm. Like, people are like, oh, I, I have to add 300 uh, uses of a keyword, so I better start editing the article. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, you don't have to do that. Uh, if you read the Quality Raiders guidelines, Google rewards supplemental content. Yeah. It's this content other than the main content that's on topic and you know is arguably useful. And so you could have a page where is supplemental content, you have an accordion of things to consider when picking a criminal defense lawyer. Hmm. Common yeah. problems that occur when you pick a criminal defense lawyer. And each of the items in that list has entities and keywords. And so you can rank a whole page from a sidebar or footer. You could actually leave the main content alone and rank the page from some you know, small collapsed accordion that no one even uses. Yeah. And, and I also found that when you start uh, optimizing with lists of things, it's really easy to get the competitive big numbers. But when you're trying to put the competitive big numbers into, you know, a 3,000 word essay, uh, that's that's a lot more difficult mm. because now you have to make it readable. It has to make sense. It has to 
the useful content in that essay format and there are grammars that you can violate and it's so hard. And, and so it allowed me to have a separation of concerns. So I could let content that's for human beings, I could leave that alone and let that perform and let that convert and let that be for human beings. And then there was content for SEO that could still be useful to human beings, but not be the primary purpose of the page, but that could rank the page all by itself. And so I could put SEO and CRO in their yeah. own separate lanes and, and leave them apart. And yeah. SEO gets easier when you do that. Yeah, especially I can imagine that for a, for a commerce website on a category page, right? It's hard to put an essay there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. with that method, it, it, it seems totally doable, right? Well, with thin category pages, one of the best tricks is you create a, a short product description in your uh, backend system. So something that's just a short sentence or two about the product. And you always make sure that that is uh, got uh, the primary keyword for the product and a couple of the entities. And if you do that, then you could go to your category pages and display the short description as part yeah. of the category token. So now you have this thin category page with, let's say, 50 products on it. Now it's got 100 short sentences on that thin category page. Oh, you need more? Well, let's go from 50 products per page to 100 products per page. Now I have 200 keyword-rich sentences on what would have been a thin category page. And that trick works fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Are there some other things we, which you are doing, which like most SEOs, like the mainstream would consider black hat or on the edge, but you think is not necessarily black hat or will not necessarily get you penalized? Are there such things you can, you can uh, uh, name? You know, yeah, it, it depends on, on uh, what your goals are. Like one of the things that I always thought would be totally black hat actually wasn't at least uh -huh. not at the time i haven't seen anything out of google about it currently uh, but at the time i mentioned we had these 15 stores and so they were all on different domains so one of the things i wanted to do was to interlink them which people were commonly referring to as a link wheel which is black uh -huh. But I noticed that all these other companies are doing effectively the same thing and they're not getting punished. And why is that? And uh, so I'd look at Viacom and CNN and The Gap and all, all these big brands that are just effectively link wheeling, but it's allowable. And the thing I noticed was that in all those cases, it was done in a way where it was uh, disclosure. Uh, you know, this company also owns and operates mm -hmm. you know, the hammock store, the car uh, supply depot, uh, aquariums are us. And, you know, so they list out all the properties they also own and operate. And so I did that too. This company also owns and operates and listed out all of the different things we own and operate. And 
that was fine. So cross-linking, even if the sites are different, as long as it's an accountability disclosure statement, appears to be the rule. Um, another thing uh, we did, uh, you know, I always assume that once you got to number one on Google, that was it. That was the end mm -hmm. of the road for SEO and a keyword is getting number one. And uh, when you run 15 stores instead of one store, you learn that's not true. Because okay. you'll oftentimes have overlap where different stores contain the same product. And I started realizing that if I could get number one for a keyword on, on store A, I could get number six for the same keyword on store B. And I could get number three for the same keyword on store C. And so it very quickly became a game of getting all of the stores uh, competing. And so what we would ultimately find after 17 years of doing that, uh, going into Black Friday, we would have all of page one and half of page two for about 50,000 Nice. <laughs> and it, it was big numbers. Uh, during uh, my time there, I helped see that company grow from $5 million a year in revenue to $65 million a year in Ooh, revenue. Nice. Um, and, but, you know, at the same time, uh, being an in-house SEO, especially a commission-based one, was fraught with peril. So <laughs> uh, it's a hard job. And uh, uh you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hard things when you're an in-house SEO for a company like that. Like you're constantly trying to stop the company from shooting itself in the foot, and that turns the SEO into the no person. And the no person is not a popular person in the company. You uh -huh. get people working against you, usually from the pay-per-click side of things or from social media or, you know, somebody with some agenda somewhere in the business. And, you know, they mean well. They just don't understand that the thing they're going to do is going to wreck a big portion of that organic revenue. And so when you fight it out to have the right thing done, uh, you end up putting a political target on your back within the organization. <laughs> and so when I took that company from 5 million to 65 million, I was fired several times along that journey. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and, and so you just have to know that, uh, you know, doing the right thing for the business often makes you a very unpopular person. And unfortunately, the SEO in most organizations is kind of a misfit role. You're not quite in engineering. You're not quite in marketing. And so you don't have a business unit to come to your defense. And so, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough. Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah. My heart goes out to all the in-house SEOs out there. That's a, that's a, a tough road. Yeah. Okay. So after that, you set up your own your own company, right? So what what is it exactly that you do now? So do you, do you also do any like client work, affiliate, or is it just mostly Cora and? It's mostly Cora. I'll I'll do uh, about 
five or so client projects a year, not, not many. And it's usually uh, favors to agencies trying to land a big uh, fish client uh, mm -hmm. or emergency SEO. Uh, oftentimes it's uh, somebody had an SEO and they, they fired them for some reason. And then the SEO went and sabotaged everything and tanked the business. And, uh, you know, I'll sometimes get called into those to figure out what they did to undo them. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's, there's a lot of things people do to tank uh, businesses. So uh, negative SEO, uh, despite what you read online, is not about spammy backlinks. I mean, that's the uh -huh. common accepted definition of it is it's spammy backlinks. But the stuff that really works and does terrible damage, it's different. Yeah, yeah. I heard about a case when, when an SEO, uh, when, when he was fired, he deleted the entire site and asked them to, to pay a lot to get it back, for example. But there are, I guess, thousands of such stories out yeah. there. And that, that type of stuff is illegal. Uh, don't ransom uh, a business, people. That's a terrible idea. It's just, you know, if it's a bad client, fire the client and move on. Mm -hmm. uh, really, if you're a good SEO, you're just too busy for that type of drama. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so good SEOs, when they start to see it going sideways, they just fire the client. So just yeah. fire the client, move on. You don't have to do vandalism. You don't have to break laws. It, that's that's something you do when you add all your eggs in one basket and then the basket doesn't like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, there are problems on both sides there. Right? So yeah. I'm not, not trying to make anyone feel bad, but, you know, if you're so mad that your mission in life becomes to tank a bad client, you know, you, you don't have enough clients. You have too much time on your hands. Yeah, totally. So tell me more about Cora. When did you create it? Like, how has it been evolving? Can you share, like, how many users are there, more or less? Like, tell me what you can tell me. Yeah, Cora uh, uh, has been around for almost six years now. Um it's gone through uh, many uh, revisions and it's, it's a measurement tool. And uh, uh, market share wise, I'm proud to say we still have 0% market share. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's a technical tool and it's not good for beginners. Uh, so if you don't know how to tune a page, if I said you needed to add 45 keywords to LI tags and your responses what's that <laughs> what are keywords um, yeah you know or what are li tags then then core is probably not for you it's probably more technical than you can handle at your per, uh, current point in the journey you need to learn html you need to learn the fundamentals of seo then you can get into core um and uh so core is good for taking good seos and making them great seos uh, but Cora is not good at turning people into good SEOs to begin with. You kind of got to do that part of learning the basics on your own first, then come to Cora. Cora is kind of like a tape measure. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I mean that in that it uh, it measures how your website is different from higher ranking competitors. And nothing that Cora gives you is really opinions. Uh, it's all just measurements. It's, you know, the the table is three feet tall. And you might disagree that that's a good height for a table, but, you know, we don't debate the height of the table. We just measure it twice and it is what it is. Um, And Cora's that way. So when Cora comes out and says, you know, hey, you know, the site's ranking above you, use 700 more exact matches than you do. You can be offended by that. (laughs) <laughs> but it it's not my opinion. It's we actually took out a tape measure and, and counted. They use their terms that much more than you do. And I know that that like pisses off a lot of people that that would matter. But unfortunately, when you test things and start proving things for yourself, you'll find out that it does matter. And you'll find out that Google isn't reading your content the way you think that they are and that Google is actually doing a word math game. And uh, uh, we, we've done a number of experiments over the years. Probably the most famous one is Kyle Roof's rhinoplasty plano. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he put the word math on a lorem ipsum boilerplate page and ranked the page to number one. And those pages, he did it for for multiple cities. So real keywords, rhinoplasty, that's plastic surgery. So high value, real keyword. Um, And he's done it in numerous real cities. And we can search for those and see that his lorem ipsum pages still rank number one. Oh, still to this day. Today. And when you have Latin boilerplate that's just properly tuned with the word math and it wins in search, it's telling you something fundamental about how search works. And it's not that Kyle made an excellent point in paragraph two. (laughs) That is not how this system works. So if you're telling yourself that if you write the highest quality content, it'll rise to the top, uh, you know, maybe if it goes viral in a human way, algorithmically, no, that's a field of dreams. Uh, if you build it, they will come type <laughs> of hoping. Okay, so Google doesn't read. It Google doesn't like... read. And we've done this with, uh, uh, you know, we, we thought that the rhinoplasty plano experiment was too generous because... Uh, even though it's a dead language, they were still real words being in Latin. Mm-hmm. So we did gibberish. We did keyword tune gibberish. That works. Um, we even uh, took a page that was ranked number one, and we randomized the order of the words on the page. So same words, just uh-huh. random order of all the words. It didn't move. It didn't fall. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm now actually like trying to setting set up a test where I will where I will do exactly that. I want to like see for myself 
how highly can I rank <laughs> specific yep. pages this way? Because this is this is so so eye-opening. Because I was the first person to tell everyone quality content matters <laughs> the most. And now well, it, it does for humans. Like for don't conversions, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you you need it to make money and have a business function, but you also need to speak to algorithms so that you rank well. You need both. And that's why separating CRO from SEO is so valuable when you can put them in their own lanes and leave them apart. Probably the, the spookiest uh, test I've seen uh, in recent years is Terry Samuels ranked a completely blank page for a real keyword using nothing but schema. Oh, okay. And so what that one definitively proved, now his schema is insane, by the way. It's, it's like next level stuff. Uh -huh. um, but what that definitively proved is that schema is most definitely a part of Google's ecosystem. It is deeply ingrained and all by itself uh, for a certain caliber of keyword, you can rank a blank page with it. And so if you've been neglecting schema, you might not want to do that. Uh -huh. Okay, another great tip. So how many factors do you measure in Cora right now? Uh, let me check because that changes. I, because I know it's growing, right? Yeah, I have a, uh, a free website called topseofactors.com. I and uh, I publish all the community factor data from Cora, and it looks like we're just under 90,000 factors wow. measured, so 89,000 and change. Oh, yeah, so it's like super, super higher than I checked last time, I think, yeah. And how do you how do you determine what factors like you probably are doing tons of testing right before you can add a specific factor there right? I used to uh, uh -huh. so prior in earlier versions of Cora, I would have to imagine a factor and figure out how to code to measure it, and then I would have to deploy oh. an update to the software before it could measure that factor and Excuse me. Uh, in those older versions, I, I got up to about 22, 2300 factors before I realized I was doing it wrong. Uh -huh. um, so I switched over the architecture. So now in Cora 7, it detects factors that are in play in the, in the websites for your keyword. And then it'll measure those. So it goes through a detection phase and then it does the statistics on what it detected in play. And since then, uh, the numbers have been growing. The more mm -hmm. keywords, the more industries we get into, the more it grows. Okay, uh, so have you coded like everything yourself? Yes. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> That's nice, Jesus, because this is like a very complex tool that every time I run it, I see so how many things it does and you did it all by yourself. Yeah. And can you tell me some of the factors, some of the factors which based on your tests and based on Cora users, you think are 
the most important? I know you have the list of top like 200 factors. Can you name some in addition to keyword density, I think, like the ones which most people wouldn't believe that they're actually a factor or would neglect them? Well, the uh, the interesting thing is, is that 99% or more of SEOs don't know the strongest SEO factors, like the strongest category of factors. Like uh -huh. they just don't even know. So what are these? Can you so help the me? Strongest category of SEO factor right now is factor diversity. So uh -huh. the number of different ranking signals you use. And the reason nobody knows it is because almost no tools out there are even capable of measuring it. So until you have a tool that can measure thousands of factors, you can't measure factor diversity. And once you do, you start to see, wow, you know, Google's ecosystem heavily favors websites that use lots of different ranking signals. Mm -hmm. And you think they have a web spam algorithm that is entirely based upon websites that don't use a lot of so MC4, right? Yeah, yeah. So MC4 is the the name of a specific web spam algorithm we think they're using. Um, they might be using something different or custom, but whatever they're doing, it behaves extremely similarly to MC4, which is why we keep saying MC4. Um, and what MC4 says is that if you exploit a minority of factors, that the algorithm should ignore those factors just for your page. So the way that plays out is... Uh, you do some on-page tuning, and the algorithm says, I see what you did there. I'll give you a ranking boost. And then we feel good, and we're like, we should do more. So you do some more on-page tuning, and the algorithm says, I see you did a little more, so I'll give you a little more. And you're like, hey, I'm really good at this SEO stuff. <laughs> so then you do some more, and the algorithm says, hey, wait a second. You're just doing the same thing over and over again. I'm not going to give you any more for that. And unfortunately, we don't hear that message when the algorithm says it. So we go and do some more. Yeah. And the algorithm says, nope. And we go and do some more. And the algorithm says, nope. And we do some more. And the algorithm says, nope. And it's that phenomenon. You know, think, think to yourself, have I encountered this where everything I was doing was working great? up to a point and then it just stopped working and it never worked again. I've been there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's an MC4 demotion. And uh, uh, you'll even hear it when clients come in the door. This is actually the most common problem in SEO. And I don't know why more SEOs don't talk about it. But how many times have you heard this? Uh, yeah, we had an SEO, it was going great for a while, then it all stopped working, so we had to let him go, and now we're here talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most common inbound client story, too. They're telling you they got stuck in MC4, they didn't know how to get unstuck, and so they fired their SEO, and now they're coming to you for help. 
And so one of the cool things about Cora, when you go through the training with it, is we show you how to get unstuck. And it's, it's the core uh, principle of using Cora is that you get unstuck and then you go back to doing the things you like doing to rank and then you get unstuck and then you go back. And so you just ping pong getting stuck in rank. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay, so, so let's say I'm a good SEO. I want to become a better SEO. How do I get started? How does it work with Cora? What do I do to learn from Cora what I need to do with my site, with my pages? How does it work in a nutshell? Well, you, you uh, sign up for Cora, uh, get the full version, not the light. The light version is only for people who are tuning article posts. If you're doing uh -huh. professional SEO, you need the full version. And then immediately schedule the training. Um, if you skip the training, if you think you're better than the training, you're making a terrible, terrible. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Uh, so sign up for the training because we will save you all the hassles. And I'm just going to cut right to the chase on how you can prove for yourself that this works. Because I, I want you to spend your initial couple of weeks with Cora doing a scientific test on your own to prove to yourself that this fundamentally works. And so we can we can take it from there afterwards, but we need you to do the the experiment just to prove to yourself. Then we can talk about the cool stuff. Yeah, totally. I, I can totally to totally agree because like before that, I used to do the SEO kind of the standard way. I knew like the fundamentals. I knew on page. I knew that there there are some certain things I can do regarding on page. Very limited when I see at Cora now was the scope of things I was doing. Even though I thought it was very very wide, and then if it doesn't work, links. But when I look at at Cora reports, I see that there are so many levers, so many things I can do. If it doesn't work, then I can do this, that. If it doesn't work, then I have still so many other options. And it gives me so much more confidence that I am really controlling the situation of what's going on in SERPs. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a couple things in play there. You know, one of the fundamental things that Cora is doing is, you know, those 90,000 factors, those are 90,000 possible things you could spend your time working. Yeah. That's a lot of things to guess through to figure out what's going to be most important. So we use statistics, basically base, baseball statistics, to figure out which of those 90,000 things appears to move the needle. And so we reduce that field of choice from 90,000 possible things to the three or four dozen that are likely suspects. So it's not definitive, yeah. but when you're guessing from three or four dozen with lots of statistical evidence that they're important, your guesses get a lot better. And so just that all by itself uh, helps people. Then combine that with the ability to say, oh, I keep getting stuck with Google's web spam algorithm. And when I do phases three and four, I get unstuck. And that's a power tool all by itself. And then you're totally right. There's more than one way to rank a page. 
So if there's a way, uh, you know, a certain way of ranking a page that you can't do for whatever reasons, Core is going to give you all these other options that you can do. So you yeah. suddenly have just a wealth of choice. Yeah. And can you talk about those phases? Yeah, there are 13 phases in a Cora report. And uh, I really only want you to master the first four. So Cora is an absolute mountain of data and people yeah. see it and they're like data and math. And yeah. then they go for the eject button. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is I want you to spend like 95% of your time just on the roadmap phase, just in the top four phases. And everything else, the vast mountain of data is reference material in the event that you need it. Uh -huh. but, and... but that roadmap, uh, phase one is your quick win phase. It's like a lot of the quick win tools out there like Surfer and Pop, and there's a million of them. Mm -hmm. uh, they they give you a quick boost, and, and they use the strongest zones of the page to give you a small bump up. Uh, rarely do those tools get you across the finish line. Uh, but, you know, they're yeah. good quick win tools. They give you a good start and then you're on your own. Um, and then, uh, so that's phase one is like those. Phase two, you're going to be competing against the overall scope of the content. It's usually about halfway through phase two that you trigger MC4 and get stuck. And then phase three is your off page, of which I only want you to compete on referring domains. Because if you think about page rank as a scalar measurement of authority, um, its diversity factor is going to be the number of different places you're pulling that authority from. And so if you compete on the referring domains, you're going wide before you go deep. And we want you to go wide before you go deep into any one uh, factor. Uh -huh. And uh, in phase four, uh, you'll find all of the diversity factors. And I give you training on how to tune for diversity. It's kind of different than what most people have been tuning for. And it really shows you the power of taking things from a measurement of zero to one. Because as Lee Witcher likes to say, there's an abnormal power spike when you go from zero of a factor to one. And then after that first one, so that first zero to one, like the power chart is really steep. But then when you go from one to 50 to 100, the curve uh -huh. levels off, you get diminishing returns. But when you take all your factors from zero to one, you get that cheap, easy, super large power spike. And so we want you to fix your zeros. And so tuning for diversity is about finding your zeros and making them one. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of easy, easy tuning, but it's very thought out and purposeful tuning. Okay, so I analyzed one of my pages. I think I did it with you during the training. And it turned out that probably I, I lack backlinks. I, I haven't really built any backlinks. And let's assume I have like the budget of $1,000. How can I go about this if I lack 500 domains? And the one decent link, if I want to buy it, costs 
100, 100, like 500, sometimes even a couple of thousand bucks. So what do I do in this case? I would recommend you get a press release. Uh-huh. With the press release, you'll typically get about 500 referring domains, and it'll probably co uh, cost you in the ballpark of $200. So you would still have budget left over. Um, oftentimes, for about 80% of the keywords clients ask you to tune for, they tend to be these... Uh, low to mid competition keywords they're two to three words long like uh chattanooga plumber or best yeah. seo software you know their keyword combos like that um and about 80 percent of those you'll find that you're short between zero and 500 referring domains and so for that 80 percent your whole off-page strategy is one white hat, honest press release. Link it yeah. to the page you're trying to rank, make it about the keyword you're trying to rank for, make the anchor text the exact match or one of the closely related variations. Keep it simple. Don't even buy all the extra SEO add-ons. They do make the press release more potent, but they appear to make them more short-lived, like they get pruned out in the world faster when you get all the SEO add-ons. Mm -hmm. Make it just vanilla and basic, uh, but make it on topic. Yeah, but three years ago, I would say, but press releases are duplicate. It is duplicate content. The links are yes. not followed. And, yes. this, and those press releases don't even I get love indexed. It. This I is what I would say. It. Yeah, it, and that's true. But, but let's think about that. Um, duplicate content, so it gets filtered out of search. Do I want my competitors finding my press release and thinking, oh, yeah, press release is a good idea? No, I prefer they never see it. Uh -huh. um, I'm not actually trying to get human traffic through it, so I don't care if human beings ever see it. I'm doing it to fix a number. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, even though it may not rank, it's still in the link graph. It's still out there doing the work we need it to do. It doesn't need to rank and search to be a backlink in Google's link graph. They're separate systems. Mm -hmm. They are independent of each other. And we've even, uh, in, in the SEO testing community, we've even tested that. Like, can websites that Google punishes and bans from search can they influence rankings? The answer is yes. And websites that are not allowed to appear in search can still pass page rank to pages and boost them. Yeah, that is true. And so it doesn't matter if your press releases don't rank well or aren't findable in search. That's not why they exist. So they cannot even they can even be not indexed, right? And they will still work. Yeah. Uh, but you want Google to crawl them, so make sure that Google crawls them, but we don't need Google to rank them. To rank, yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, you don't want to compete with them either. You don't want to tune them so well that they outrank the page you're trying to rank. <laughs> yeah. So you got to be mindful of that too. And uh, I don't mind no follow links. They rank pages. 
I don't care uh -huh. what people say, nofollow links work. So if nofollow links makes them acceptable and safer, nofollow away, go for it. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, that's that's really cool. And uh, can you can you share? Can you tell me like what is uh, the single most irritating mistake you see SEOs do over and over again, which you 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 would like to like disappear or? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a few. I'm gonna pull from my ecom days here, so s sorry if I'm getting too niche uh, uh, on my response. That's that's cool. That's <laughs> um, the first one is naming things that nobody searches for. So when you have a category and you call your category gifts and delights, when was the last time you searched for gifts and delights? <laughs> what the hell is a delight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So we took that category and this was on a PageRank 8 store at the time. Mm. So a really big online retailer. We changed it from gifts and delights where it was getting nothing organically to unique gift ideas. Yeah. The traffic flooded into that category oh. because we named it something people search for. So you can do a names of things audit on your store. It's like the easiest thing you could possibly do. It's like least effort, but potentially huge returns when you take things that people never search for and turn them into things people might search for. Now you're mm -hmm. bringing people into your business. Those are shoppers coming in the door that otherwise wouldn't have come in the door. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And some tips for people who are just starting out in SEO so that they start the right way. What would yeah. you advise? Here's the thing. SEOs are notorious for backing themselves into corners. <laughs> and I don't <laughs> want you to do that because it, it's stressful and painful and annoying and demoralizing. Don't do it. So what you need is a safe place to fail. Okay. When you're in a situation where your next mistake gets you fired, do you do your best SEO? Do you try new things to figure out what works? Are you learning as fast as you can? Or are you playing it super safe, which is typically really bad SEO? Exactly, yeah. So the only way you can succeed only way you can thrive is that you have a safe place to fail. And I'm telling you, if you can use that safe place to fail to try things out, to find out what, what's going to work well, what's going to fail hard, then you have a power tool to say all of the things that work well, we're going to put on the money site. And now you went from being the person who the next mistake they make, uh, you're fired and you don't know what to do, to being the person with the Midas touch. Everything you tell them to do on the money site is pure gold. Yeah. And, and you get promoted so fast. Yeah. So you need a safe place to fail. That's how you're going to master your trade. That's how you're going to get your biggest successes. So whether you 
set up a, uh, a dummy site. So if you can get permission to take their store and just relaunch it as a second store under a different brand, it can mm. still go through the same fulfillment house. All you got to do is change the logo and the name. Why not have two stores? And then on the one that's the unofficial store, the made up brand, the doing business as, you get to do whatever you want to do to master your trade. And then mm -hmm. whatever successes you have there, you do to the main one, the official brand. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> it, you should be able to get permission for that to explain it. Be totally honest. See, I'm trying to be scientific, but I need a safe place to fail so that we can discover things and put the good discoveries where they matter most. And hopefully your employer is like, I love it because it's safer for them because you can mess up over here and it doesn't affect payroll. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. And talking about learning, learning SEO, I can, I can honestly say that I actually started learning SEO, like really learning SEO was when I started to play with Cora and I made sure that with every report, I read all the like factors because there are factors attached to every report. And this way I can say that I really learned a lot of like theory that maybe I, I was, I was lacking. And another way I would say for me was like attending tested SEO training by, by Lee Witcher. So for me, these are now like top two things that allow me to learn SEO in a more in a more efficient way. Can you share like some other things that we can add to the mix or some other resources, courses, something you can recommend for people for ambitious SEOs? Yeah, but know, know that it's a journey. Like uh, a lot of people will rush to Lee's course when they're not prepared. And, and Lee does an interview before he lets you into his course. Um, and not everybody gets into his course because they're just not at the right spot on their journey. So, you know, make sure that uh, you understand HTML, that you understand the fundamentals of applying SEO to a website. Uh, then maybe start with an experiment and prove that Cora at its fundamental level does work for you and does work into your workflow. You know, and so you can take these things that save you time and keep your costs low until you can do the scientific proof for yourself that these things work. And so we want you to take that journey because honestly, the discussions get easier. If we just let you into uh, Lee's course and you haven't done that beginning work, it's just going to be a big argument where you're in disbelief because you haven't done the work yet. Uh -huh. And so we want you to do those, those initial steps. Um, and, you know, we want you to be skeptical. Don't just assume that Google is smart, therefore something can't possibly work. Because oh, what we found is, is Google is actually very lazy. Like there, there are problems that Google has had for decades and they still haven't gotten around to fixing them. Uh, so to name a few, like keyword stuffing, that was always a manual action. That was never uh, governed by the algorithm. 
So they had okay. human beings that would have to punish keyword stuff. You, you'd think with all the smarts and all the AI, that, that would have been algorithm. Nope, manual oh. action. Um, what about white text on a white background? Test it out. It works. Okay. <laughs> what, what about very simple, obvious cloaking? Uh -huh. you know, hiding hiding your, your text. It works. I mean, it's, these are things that Google could have solved decades ago, and they still haven't. So even though they hire the best and they're very smart, they're driven by the cost of things. They're looking at other opportunities. They often just don't care. It's not a big enough problem to warrant a fix. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the stuff you're hearing, and trust me, I heard it all too, a lot of it has a different truth than to what you're reading. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's awesome, really, really, Ted. So what's the best place to follow you to kind of get to know you better? Is it like share, share with the audience? Because I'm sure a lot of people will want to get to know you better and your, what you're doing. Yeah, I'd, I'd say if, if you want to learn more about uh, what we do, I'd, I'd start with SEO Fight Club. Uh, just go through the history of, uh, of videos. There's many, many topics there. Uh, if you're an online retailer, I recommend the Goose Egg SEO or the e-commerce episodes. Uh, those ones are pure gold for online retailers. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, check out what we're doing. Uh, a lot of those episodes, we show you evidence. We show you how we test things. Uh, we show you the results. And, uh, you know, the main thing I want you to do is to stop listening to everyone and start proving just a small number of things for yourself. Because even if you prove, you know, three or four fundamentals, at least now you know when somebody violates one of the three or four fundamentals you've proven for yourself, you don't need to listen to them. They violated a fundamental you proved for yourself works. So they mm -hmm. must be making it up. And so just even, even as little as three or four fundamentals gives you a power tool to filter out a large portion of what's out there. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, Ted. So thank you so much for, for spending this time with me. I learned a ton and I'm still learning a ton from you. So that was awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning too. We test every day. Just because it's true today does not mean it's true tomorrow. So. Yeah, sure. Okay. Th thanks. And thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Take care.